Hey y'all, hey, it's Shar, and I'm back with another episode of Here's to You with Shar and Friends. Um, I have a special guest. Um, you know, I've been making some changes to the show. I know I've also had like a creative block, so I just kind of needed to lay low because my brain was just not in the creative mood. Um, but with that being said, I'll let the host introduce herself and then we'll go from there. It is ladies again, ladies and gentlemen, and I am here to officially announce that Here's to You with Char and Friends is now Here's to You with Char and Lace. I am officially the new co-host and I am so honored and excited and I, this is something that I am very eager and happy about, so yeah <laughs> yeah I I'm excited too so um it just made sense for her to be the co-host um after we did our episode um you know with Diana it just really felt it felt good to me it felt good to her and it felt organic and I definitely wanted to keep that feeling going and I just wanted to keep this momentum going and so I asked her and by the grace of God, she said, yes. So we're going to, you know, have fun with this and, you know, entertain you guys with this. Um, I was telling ladies that with this podcast, uh, you know, I wanted to mix my love for music and history um, to, you know, in a creative space. And so this is what, you know, I came up with. And I'm happy you're here. I won't speak too much, you guys, because we do definitely have a long show ahead of us so (laughs) so let's get into it um what's your drink of choice do you have a drink of choice well right now I am actually drinking lemon and ginger tea because (laughs) to keep my throat (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am drinking water um I drank my wine over the weekend and I didn't buy anymore so (laughs) We're sticking it to water. (laughs) Um, But we have a great show ahead. We're going to be talking about, I can't even say the word, I'm excited about this episode as well. Um, Ladies, pick this person. Um, We went, you know, we came up with some names. And this, you know, this is going to be a great show. I'm excited. So I'll let her introduce the person as well. So today's episode is no one other than... The voice, Whitney Houston. Um, She is undoubtedly the greatest singer of all time. I will not hear any arguments otherwise. Unless it's Aretha, because I put Aretha above Whitney for various reasons. But other than that, you know. Yeah, she she is the voice. This show wouldn't feel right if we did not dedicate an episode to her. Absolutely. So let's get into it. Um. I guess starting off with her early life, I'll let you take over and then we can just expound from there and move in, starting from her early ages, um, you know, in New Jersey. So, Alrighty. Um, Whitney Elizabeth Houston, a.k.a. Nippy, was born on August 9th, 1963, shout out Leos, in Newark, New Jersey, to John Russell Houston Jr. and Emily Sissy Houston. She has two brothers, Gary and Michael. Her mother, Sissy, worked as a singer with family groups, the Drinkard Singers and Sweet Inspiration, 
while also being a backing vocalist for popular artists such as Aretha Franklin, Dionne Warwick, and Elvis Presley. Her father, John, worked in New York politics, but his main occupation was managing then-wife Sissy and her group. Whitney is the cousin of musical legend Diane Warwick and goddaughter of another music legend, Darlene Love, and Aretha Franklin was also known as her, her aunt. Um, yes, yeah, so early on, right out the gate, she is entrapped with these musical legends. So very big shoes to fill. Absolutely, especially, you know, starting from her mother and then you have like Aretha Franklin, then like a Dionne Warwick, who I consider in my personal opinion, one of the first pop stars, yes. um, black pop stars. So, yeah, um, I guess it was inevitable for her to, you know, get in the music industry um, and, you know, expound from there because, you know, she was a church girl, you know, and everything. So it just her path just made sense coming from a musical background. Yes. And you can hear a lot of those women who were around her in her styling of singing and especially her mother, especially Dionne Warwick. Like you can and Aretha Franklin, you can hear those influences in, you know, the way she sings and her improvisations and ad libs when it comes to music. Like it's very apparent. And I think that is, you know, special. Someone who did their homework and, you know, the results were were fantastic, were great. We we got a one-of-a-kind voice from that. Yeah, so I guess we, you know, we can start from, like, the early stages before, you know, we move into her becoming this um, superstar of a singer, uh, you know, because she, like, you know, she started off young, and how old was she actually? I think it was like, but if if I'm, I could be wrong, but I know she was in her teen. Wait, let me pause for a minute, because from what I remember reading and learning about Whitney, did she start off as a model? Yes, yeah, she worked and as a teen model. Teen model. Yeah, and then it kind of shifted into, I guess, moving into more of a singing career. Yes. So, yeah, she worked as a a teen model in the early 1980s, and Mm -hmm. she would be the first woman of color to appear in Seventeen magazine. Mm -hmm. And at age 17, she did this performance her um, at this R&B hotspot called McKill's, and her mom did the whole (laughs) "I'm sick" thing to know get her to perform for her. And this was kind of a test to see, like, you know, does she understand the the work ethic and the spontaneity of show business? And Whitney went out and blew these people away. And it was here that, you know, the people around her decided, okay, this girl has it. We're going to we're going to really pursue this singing career. So, you know. Labels started courting her. I think she was courted by Electra, Columbia, Arista, and ultimately she would sign her first record deal in 1983. And Arista Records, I think she was around 20. And as you say, you know, the rest is history. Who? What a. It's just so crazy because her, 
her stardom happened so fast. Yeah. Like, super fast. Like, and she was cranking out hits after hits. And it's also important to note that Whitney, she wasn't make, necessarily making R&B records. She was making pop records, but she had this soulful, really soulful voice, you know? And so I guess that shifts into how the audience received her. Yes. You know, as this pop star on the rise. Yeah. Because on the billboards, you know, like I said, she was cranking out the hits. She was really successful. But then there was like this other side, you know, where it's just like, why is she making this like, you know, bubblegum pop stuff? Um, like I sell out music. I said this in quotes, guys. And so I guess we can like move into like the early stages. I guess like we're from her first album into like I guess you know redefining like the black pop star and like the stigma she faced. Because um, we're not gonna touch. We're not going to go through, like, all of her albums. You guys will be here, like, literally all night. And we just don't have the time for that because that's a lot to expound on. But we definitely wanted to talk about, um, you know, her becoming a pop star and, you know, what that meant for her and how, you know, she was received with the audience and what she faced. So, yeah, uh, I guess I'll start. <sighs> okay, so for me... Uh, I've watched many, I guess, of documentaries, you want to say? I think I watched, there was one on Hulu I watched. This was like a couple years back. And I learned that the Black audience, um, you know, consider her a sellout because of the music she made. And I learned about that. It was really interesting because what happened was there was a protest. <laughs> and they were, like, boycotting Whitney Houston. And this was done by Al Sharpton. Yeah, Al Sharpton called her Whitey Houston, which is just very rich coming from, you know, someone with the political career and media career that he has. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because... He went from that, and then, like, when she died, he was, like, like, we need to, like, live, like, trying to, like, sweet talk and stuff. It was just really, like, nasty. It's like, dude, you were the one of the ones who was against her when she first started, so now you want to seem like, you know, you were, it was just a lot happening, and I did not like that. And also, the Soul Trainer Awards. yes. In 1989, she she was booed. Like, they were announcing her for categories, and the audience was booing her. Very and mind good. you, she won 11 awards that night. So what should be, like, a career high for you where you are being celebrated by your people, you are getting all these accolades, like, your people are booing you. They're basically saying, we do not accept you. And I think it speaks to the broader issue of like what we were talking about with, you know, how Whitney was marketed. Like she was yeah. packaged to appeal to a mainstream audience. Exactly. And because of that, you know, many black people felt that she had left them or sold out. 
but this was a conscious decision by Clive and Arista to make her, you know, as marketable as possible. And it goes back to, you know, the fifties and sixties with Motown, like the success that these, you know, these artists wanted, they wanted to appeal to everybody. They wanted to be in the living rooms, in the cars with white people. That was the, the peak of success. Yeah. And, I can definitely attest to that because my mom, like, she was a teen in the 80s and she told me stories um, about how, like, you know, there was, like, you know, black shows and, like, you know, a black artist about making music. But she was, like, it was always, like, white. Everything was, like, literally white still, you know, with them growing up, you know, as far as entertainment goes. And so, um, yeah, so even with this, you know, Whitney being this pop star, uh, I guess the, due to the sound, people weren't really, with the black community, it was really different because it was more, you know, they were used to that R&B, you know, hip hop music. And it was during the 80s. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, music was definitely changing. And I don't think people were really wanting to hear that because during that time, like I said, it was, rap was becoming like a, theme and then you had like the R&B hits and then you had like rock which was also like a genre that was you know really you know heavy um, in the 80s as well and so it was uh, very interesting to me it also brings up another point tying into her music um, when people are not necessarily into her discography like they love her like hits but they're not necessarily fans of her music like her albums, sorry, her albums, um, I guess due um, to how, you know, Clive wanted her marketed. I think, I think Whitney had, um, if you, I guess, in, I could say this in quotes, if you want to consider R&B albums, I think maybe off the top of my head, I think she had two, from my understanding, if we're talking about like a straight R&B sound and the rest were like, we're looking at like pop, that mainstream pop sound that Clive really wanted from her, um, from like beginning to like end, he, like Clive wanted her to be like his breadwinner when it came to like being a pop star, a global, excuse me, a global pop star. So, yeah, with the eighties and you know the way pop music was shading up, was shaping up, you had the emergence of like this this culture that was very, that was heavily dominated by, you know, the mall, like teens being in malls, white teens being in malls. So the music was very fun, very poppy, very energetic. And with Whitney, you know, you get these, you know, these very standard, you know, mellow R&B tracks, but you also get these really like pop dance numbers and I think it just goes to show how you know Clive made sure you know to keep her away from music that was too soulful or music that was you know hip for that time because you know once going back like they wanted her to appeal to everybody and the Soul Train Awards incident was one of those cases like I think she was unfairly treated Absolutely. Like, this is a woman who 
is really establishing herself in an industry that does not really take lightly to, you know, black women. So, you know, I think I saw an interview where she was like, um, I don't know why people are, you know, trying to put color to my voice. Like how, how do I sound more black? It's like she had these identity issues because, you know, mm-hmm. once again, your people were telling you like, yeah, your music isn't really black enough for me. Like you make music for white people. But it's just. And it's very interesting because like we stated, her voice was soulful. So how could you really like, I guess, put that on her, you know, like she said, but this also brings up, you know, the conversation that's always being had when we talk about black pop stars, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, black people made all genres of music, yada, yada, yada. But then when, you know, pop music, when they want to make pop music uh, or a genre that's not deemed, you know, R&B or rap, then it's like, but especially pop, it's like, oh, they're a sellout. And it's just like, huh? If they made, if we, you know, made all these genres, then how are these artists out? Because they're pop stars. Yeah, it's a and, big contradiction. And it doesn't make sense because what when we talk about pop music, pop music, and, you know, it's what's popular at the moment. So it can be a various, you know, it can be various genres or like, one specific genre but it doesn't necessarily you know just it's you know it's that thing of placing black artists in boxes and you know we also hear you know other black artists and they don't want to be placed in boxes but a lot of them also place themselves in boxes because they still you know just make that r&b sound right so it's it's just a very like interesting conversation um it I just kind of want you know I think we should let artists make the type of music they make in it like be okay <laughs> yes. but because if the music is good it's good and there's like it's just some artists like because due to their talent you can't put them in a box and they're not going to be in that box and it's also just like if you don't like the music you can always like not listen <laughs> right <laughs> so that's always an option too but yeah that's that was my piece on it as far as that goes when we talk about you know black pop artists as a collective because that because Whitney was definitely like a catalyst for that you know that sell, whole sellout situation yes um Steve Steve Rose in The Guardian writes, like, regarding to the current pop landscape, like, however that freedom is used, Whitney Houston is undoubtedly one of those who helped earn it, and she undoubtedly paid the price for it. And by this quote, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, how popular artists of today can, you know, do this and do that, like, we we have the choice to, you know, be a pop star, be an R&B singer, even though, you know, they may face some of the same criticism she did. There is more room now for 
people to, you know, branch out and find their lane. Yeah. And you know, what's even interesting is at the time, you know, Janet was out as well. Yes. But the difference was, you know, Janet's music. She Okay. Her music was in her early years was typically R&B, had an R&B sound. I say that, but it crossed over. (laughs) And I don't think a lot of um, people realize that, too. A lot of our artists are R&B, you know, singers, artists, but the music just happens to cross over because, uh, you know, of what's being marketed or, you know, what's being caught caught to the ears. So the parallels are definitely different. So I definitely wanted to point that out too. Yes, it's definitely, um, as far as like the big names, especially the big black names, yeah, they were mostly crossover artists, like very R&B rooted, but you know, there was that one song that, you know, attracted the masses. So they were able to, you know, touch that other side And then when you get there, you know, you want to appeal to that side. So you make more music that, you know, that they would they would gravitate towards. Yeah. And I also want I also wonder, like, they let, you know, Michael and Prince just be the artists they wanted to be and make the music they wanted to be. So I was just kind of like, why, you know, did. You know, like when Whitney was this pop star, they didn't have to be like, oh, she's a set out, you know, because it's just like they never did that, you know, with those two. And those two didn't necessarily make R&B songs. They dived in like all the genres, you know, with the producers, you know, with Michael working with Quincy Jones and then, you know, um, Prince, you know, he mix up the different genres as well, you know, with his writing and the sounds and instruments and everything. So I always like thought of those two as well, how they were able to just be, but like this star star who was just like, has this voice just singing. She wasn't able to just, just be, you know. I think it's a misogyny thing as with most things, but I also think because Whitney's voice was so big and so so powerful that she mm-hmm. was coming off the heels of like an Aretha, you know, where Aretha's music was very much, you know, classic soul. Gotcha, yeah. So I would understand, you know, in a way where people would expect that from Whitney, that her music would be a little more soulful, a little more, you know, darker. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, because, you know, coming in with a voice like that, it's like, well, why is she singing these bubble pop songs? She's supposed to be singing, you know, giving us something soulful, you know? Yeah, so that definitely makes sense during that time as well. Because, um, like, I was always under, like, the way I understood Whitney as an artist was that her voice carried the records. Yes, very much so. Even if the song wasn't... You know, it was that's so so, but her voice was always like, "Hey, this is this is actually pretty catchy." Hold on now, you know. Yeah, <laughs> her her voice did like like a lot of the heavy lifting for like yes. the productions, you know, that she was given with the songs and such. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, you you get this like bring it back to Aretha. You get this this very this 
this big voice from, you know, this church background. And, you know, people are already thinking like, oh, she's going to be, you know, the next big thing as far as like, you know, a soul singer just because of that background and just because of, you know, who she was around, who she came up with. But that yeah. is, you know, where we we make the mistake of putting people into boxes and not letting them, you know, grow as artists, you know, try these things out. And as we said, this wasn't her decision. Yeah, she she was being marketed this way. This was someone else basically saying, this is how we get you in as many homes as we can. Yeah, and I mean, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and I think something I always said when it came, came to Whitney's albums is, you know, I wish Clive did give her better, you know, albums because a lot of the times I just felt like they were chasing hits right yes. versus you know giving us like a body of work not just that she don't have a body of work but you know like some of her albums like some of the songs are like just skippable you know and it's just like oh, this is you know I don't know I just always felt like her albums could have been more solid in my opinion with what Clive wanted from her no that is a very fair opinion and I think most people would agree with me when I say even with as big and successful Whitney was, she was so undervalued as a musician, as a vocal producer. Like there are things Whitney could do with her voice that no one else could do. And with songs that would really like take to that, you know, we didn't get a lot of, you know, she did what she could for what she received, but there are so many things that Whitney could have done to like elevate her artistry and she was very much held back by Clive Davis you know yes. to to keep that that mainstream appeal definitely so and what's really interesting is we even with you know people not really feeling her well you know the black artists not really feeling her these record executives had the black R&B singers trying to chase, compete with Whitney. Yes. They was trying to keep up with Whitney. Yeah, Whitney closed a lot of doors for a lot of the R&B singers in the 80s. Like, they realized who was the top dog, and they're like, if you can't be that, we don't want you. And that's just what it was. Yeah. Like, so many wish because I remember watching um Mickey Howard's um film on TV one and when Whitney had came out and you know was becoming a star they was trying to like put her and others uh, to compete with Whitney yeah and you know Mickey Howard was a pure you know an R&B singer so she's like this is not me you know so it was very interesting in that regard as well. Very interesting. <laughs> but yeah, speaking- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. At the end of the day, like these record labels are all about profit. They're like, who we need something that is the equivalent to Whitney Houston, this new um, blossoming pop star. Like we we need to compete with it. We need to match that. Yeah, and only one succeeded. 
<laughs> Y'all already know who that person is, so let's not go there. But but this also brings us into like her career highlights. Um, as far as her number ones, her awards, you know, because even though people were receptive, a lot of people weren't, you know, receptive of her, she still sold records and millions of them and got awards. And like you said, she was still the number one girl, <laughs> regardless. So I guess let's, with the number ones, where do you want to start? All right, Whitney has 11 number one songs. It puts her in the top 10 of all time as far as number ones. She has 23 top 10 hits. She has four number one albums, eight top 10 albums. She's the first artist to have seven consecutive number one singles. And she is the first woman to debut at number one on the Billboard Top 200. She's also the first Black artist with three certified Diamond albums. Three. Her career, she over her career, she has sold 200 million records. And I Will Always Love You is to this day the best selling song of all time by a female artist. Dolly Parton is eating off of that song. Yeah. <laughs> so these are Whitney Houston has achieved feats that no one will ever come close to. So even, even with, you know, the little pushback she did receive, you know, as her career started, she was able to gain all of this. And I just think that is truly remarkable and speaks to her, her talent. So which, which three albums are diamond? That would be the bodyguard soundtrack, correct? Yes. And then the, would that be the Whitney album, if I'm not mistaken? I think, yes. Yeah. And then the other one that is her first one, right? Yes, Whitney Houston. Yeah, yeah, so those three. Just, she, oh, I miss her so much. <laughs> God, like, listening to her songs, like, there's only, like, two artists, like, when I listen to their music, I get, like, chills. And, like, she's one of those artists like even you know I was watching you know um concerts over the weekend and you know these are like from the 90s and I'm still like it's like just like chills because like sounding that good like this like it's not comparable like it's just amazing to me I meant to ask you earlier what was your introduction to Whitney or like, what is your, um, like, what do you first remember, like, when you think of Whitney Houston, like, in your childhood growing up, what was the first thing that, you know, exposed you to her? That's a good question. Hmm. Well, you know, she was always around, you know, you know, it's like Whitney Houston. But I would say if we're talking about really just exposing who she is, it was probably Cinderella. Mm. Yeah, because I was, yeah, I was a toddler, but I remember it. It was definitely Cinderella. And then um, my mom had the, um, this is back when cassette tapes were a thing. She had the My Love Is Your Love album. Yes. <laughs> and so that was also another um, exposure because that album was bumping in the SUV. 
So <laughs> <laughs> definitely those two. So I was like, I would say I was four or five when, yeah, because we're talking about exposure, like, oh, oh my God, like, wait, yeah. this lady is amazing, you know? So yeah, definitely Cinderella. What about you? I think for me, um, I, I remember songs. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the older I've gotten, I've been able to like connect certain songs to like my early childhood. Mm-hmm. So with Whitney, I really knew me from the Preacher's Wife soundtrack. I distinctly remember hearing that song on the radio. Um, I remember hearing Heartbreak Hotel. Um, and I also remember hearing um, Exhale. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating because all of these songs are connected to a movie soundtrack she did. <laughs> oh, also, um, When You Believe, like the yeah. with Mariah Carey, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that was another one as well, The Prince of Egypt. Oh. And also, um, what's this? Um, I Believe in You and Me with the... Uh, the Preacher's Wife. That yes. song, I was in love with that song as a kid, let me just say. I don't know why, but I used to sing at the top of my voice like I could hear her notes. <laughs> I love yeah. that song. <laughs> but um, speaking, you know, about films, you know, I guess we can just, you know, dive into, you know, the films and the connection, you know, with the music. Yes. Um, Starting with The Bodyguard, 1992. Yes, it co-starred Kevin Costner. Um, the movie grossed $411 million. And with that, these came the Bodyguard soundtrack, which we all know is like what people will probably say is Whitney's magnum opus. Like The soundtrack was produced by David Foster, Babyface, L.A. Reid, Daryl Simmons. Whitney was also an EP it sold one million in the first week. It is to this day the best-selling soundtrack of all time. It is certified diamond, and it is the best-selling album by a woman. And I know people will probably hear this and say, "Well, she's not on every song on the album, but she's on enough of the album to where, like, you can basically give her the credit." <laughs> Absolutely. And um, confession. So I didn't see the Bodyguard until like. I think 2020, that's the first time I saw it. Um, every time I would see The Bodyguard, it was either going off. So I could never just, you know, watch it. But it was final. It was on Amazon. And so I was like, let me take, sit down and watch. And I finally sat and watched, you know, as an adult. And I was just like, I get it. Like, you know, her first, you know, film, like I had, I had seen all, all the rest of her movies, but I've never seen that one. So I was like let me watch this, you know, cause so many people talk about it. So. Yeah. I was, um, I just finished watching the, um, rewatching the Whitney documentary and the part where they were on the bodyguard and Kevin Costner was talking about how, you know, important her performance was, mm-hmm. you know, she was getting this moment, like particularly at the end of the film where, you know, the romantic, lead runs into the arms of her of her love and we know we typically see that role being played by a white woman 
and for Whitney being black to get this moment was like, oh, wow, this, this is a black woman basically, you know, showing little black girls that, hey, like, this is someone who looks like you who can also get this moment. Yeah. And I just also want to say um, that movie, um, my soundtrack produced one of my, like, favorite, well, I'll say covers because the song was by somebody else. But I'm Every Woman. I love that cover by Whitney Houston. It is uh, my go-to song. <laughs> I love it, love it so, so, so much. And it's definitely a confidence booster. So kudos to that because, oh my God, this song is just, oh, I just, <laughs> so, all right. So now that leads us into 1995, where we have mostly every Black households, one of their favorite movies, <laughs> Waiting to Exhale. Yes. <laughs> Waiting to Exhale stars Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, and Layla Rashawn. Um, like you said, a, a Black classic. Like So many Black people hold this movie in high regard just because of what it like tackles. Like He's a we, good man, Savannah. <laughs> yes. You, you know, we get to see Bernadette burning the car. Like, just so many iconic moments in this movie. Yeah, I watched it over the weekend, actually. And it gave us one of the best soundtracks ever. Ever. Yeah, the ever. soundtrack was written and produced by Babyface. It was number one for five weeks on the Billboard 200. It is certified certified seven times platinum and it produced the number one single exhale shoop shoop one of my favorite Whitney Houston songs like of all time I think it might be number one I think it is number one it is number one I love that song so much yeah this this soundtrack is so pivotal to like R&B music especially in the 90s like yeah. this is Babyface in his like peak. Yeah, we're talking Whitney Houston. We're talking Brand, a young teen Brandy. We're talking SWV. We're talking with TLC, Shante Moore, like Tony Braxton, like Mary J. Blige, Shaka Khan, Aretha Franklin. Like every big black R and B artist was on this soundtrack. Even C.C. Winans, who was a freaking gospel singer. Yes. Come on, you know? So, a classic. Like, they don't make, they're not making soundtrack. Like, like, oof. And one of my, um, my personal favorite Whitney songs is on this album, Why Does It Hurt So Bad? That (laughs) song got me through so much these past two years. Like, that is my, my down bad song. Like, if I'm feeling away. Yeah, I think what I love about Whitney's voice is no matter what she's singing, you feel it. You feel it. A hundred percent. I heard. Because, like, I'm Your Baby Tonight. That's one of another song I really love. And you feel it. Like, when she yeah. started, like, singing that part in one take, that long where she doesn't take a breath, you feel that part. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, she just, she's really good at what she does. Yeah. So then that leads us into the next year, 1996, 
where we have the preacher's wife. My one of my favorite Christmas movies. Yes, of all time. love <laughs> love this movie. <laughs> um, the preacher's wife stars Whitney Houston, Denzel Washington, Courtney B. Vance, and Jennifer Lewis. It grossed fifty-seven million domestically. We also got from that an amazing soundtrack. You know, Whitney's continuing her streak of being on very, very pivotal 90s movie soundtracks. She is the soundtrack queen to me. Absolutely. Because <laughs> we got more. <laughs> yes. Um, I just love that movie so much. And I love that Whitney gave us like different characters. Yes. Like she was sure she could be like a even though like, you know, singing was the core, like she was really like good at getting roles that fits her, like still as Whitney if that makes sense. You're like yes. you know, like this is Whitney, but like and like the roles just fit her perfectly. Um, even in this, like she, she you know, she's a preacher's wife. She's you know directing the choir. You know she loves the church. If you guys don't know about Whitney, it's just she loves, loves, loves the church and yeah, God. The, like very, the whole, very religious. Very. And she, this soundtrack showcased that in the song she sung. And this her whole demeanor, and I just loved, I love this movie. So I watch it every year during our Christmas time. So, um, and so then we shifted to 1997. She had a good run of movies. I just realized that. She did. It was like back to back to back with like movies and soundtracks. Like she had really, I feel like yeah. the bodyguard really ascended her to like this level to where she was that girl to like call yeah. for I want you in this movie. I want you on the soundtrack. Because they knew getting a Whitney, getting Whitney in a movie meant getting Whitney on a soundtrack. Absolutely. And that so you get a win-win. Yeah. So that brings us to Cinderella in 1997. Yes. Cinderella stars Brandy, Paolo, Mentalbin, Bernadette Peters, Whoopi Goldberg, Victor Garber, it aired on ABC and it was watched by 60 million people. Oof, wow. And this was one of Brandy's roles, I would say, of where she started that um I guess her movie career had pretty much started with this. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, was she handpicked by Whitney for this role? I believe so. Yeah. From what I remember, I'm just going by what I remember. I'm not sure, but I think so. She was handpicked. And I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I remember in the Diana Ross episode how we viewed um, Brandy and... Diana in double platinum as kind of like a passing of the torch. But I feel like with this Cinderella, we really get, you know, Whitney kind of passing the torch to Brandy as far as like what these two ladies represented in their respective times. Like 
Whitney was the teenage sweetheart in the 80s. And now we are in the mid, late 90s. And here's Brandy, who is kind of stepping into that role. Yeah, because at the time, she became a crossover. Yes. As well. And she was the first Black Cinderella as well. So that was a huge, huge deal. And her to be able to sing, you know, at that age, like, you know, she's still maturing as a, you know, because she's still a teen. But to be able to sing with Whitney, it's just like, you know, just mind blowing that whole movie was just mind blowing with the singing. Yeah, it was it was so important for so many um people of color, like to see these traditional roles be played by non traditional like people, you know, who weren't white. Like you didn't have white people in main roles for this classic story of Cinderella. Yeah, and it was very interesting because nobody like questioning it. It was just like Cinderella. Oh, okay. yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like no one questioned the the parents or how like no one was the same race. It just it worked. It was this creative liberty that worked. And I'm glad it did, and I'm so happy we were finally able to stream it because it took years and years before. You know, we were able to even watch the film because of, you know, it not being on any of the streaming sites. Yeah, I remember having to watch, like, parts of this on, like, YouTube. YouTube. (laughs) Like, we were in the trenches. (laughs) Deep down in the trenches. All right, and then that takes us to her final film. Um, I want to um, I want to say before we get into that, um, Mm -hmm. Cinderella also starts, you know, Whitney executive producing movies. Yeah. And, you know, she, we know now that she executive produced, you know, the Cheetah Cheetah Girls, Girls, Princess Diaries. Like cultural staples to us, to millennials. She she is a name attached to that. Like just continuing her legacy for us. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. But so... Princess Diaries was one of the first DVDs that I owned. I had Break It On and Princess Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was that girl. And so um, you remember like the behind the scenes they had on like DVDs and stuff you could yes. watch. And um, so I was watching, you know, behind the scenes of Princess Diaries. And I looked and, you know, they were showing the backgrounds I said, hey, wait a minute, that's Whitney Houston. <laughs> and, and then I realized she was a executive producer. And this is also the early years, I don't know if people realize, of Shonda Rhimes. Um, so, yeah, she was definitely, you know, a creative, you know, and, you know, dipping her foot in, you know, giving us, you know, classics, not only in front of the scenes, but behind the scenes. Like exactly. Like you said, just laying that foundation to her greatness. So, Okay. And so her final film was in 2012, which was Sparkle. Yes. Sparkle stars um, Jordan Sparks, Carmen Ijogo, Tika Sumter, Derek Luke, Mike Ebbs, Omari Hardwick, it grows $24 million domestically, and, you know, we get to see Whitney in her final film. You know, this was a point in her life where 
she was really, you know, getting back straight, like getting, getting to where she was, like getting to getting back on a path that was healthy, that was lighter. And I remember in the Whitney documentary, I forgot which lady was saying this, but she was basically saying like Whitney enjoyed this experience so much because, you know, she found purpose again. Like there were so many things up until this point that had happened that were just so bad for her to where, you know, she didn't want to do it like music anymore. Mm -hmm. And this movie gave her purpose and she was so excited, you know, to film this project. Like, and, you know, it showed. My granddad tells me, um, then when we went to see the movie, he was like, this, I didn't even think Whitney could sound like this anymore. Like, it was, he was so impressed by her. And you could tell, like, she was really digging deep to finding herself again. You know, touching that church background that, you know, nourished her and raised her as, you know, a person and a vocalist. And, it was just beautiful to see that being her last role. Yeah. Was, if I'm not, if from what I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, but wasn't originally Aaliyah was supposed to play Sparkle or was that just a rumor? There, there have been talks. Like I, I do think I was hearing that too. They've been trying to get, they were trying to get that Sparkle remake done for like ever. Years. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think she was the, like, big name attached to it at, you know, when it first started. First started, yeah. Like, gotcha. Alrighty. So now I get, we can move, kind of shift into Whitney as a live artist in her concerts. You know, her most notable live performances. From ladies came up with most of this list, guys. She was really, like, dumping it all on me she's like listen this is what we're talking about <laughs> no I'm just I'm just kidding but so starting with the Super Bowl um national anthem 1991 yes Super Bowl 25 in Tampa Florida it was watched by 115 million people domestically and 750 million people internationally and what is like incredible about this um this performance that a lot of people probably don't know is that like we we are familiar with the fact now that you are you are lip singing at the Super Bowl. You are lip singing mm-hmm. to a pre-recorded vocal. But Whitney was lip singing to her first take of this performance. The guy said she recorded this and they took the first take. So you get this amazing performance just right off the bat. And this, it became the staple Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, people always go back to it. Yeah, people, I forgot where, Mm -hmm. I think I was at like a middle school recital or like something, and they had to do the national anthem, and they started playing Whitney's national anthem like over the speakers. I'm just like, this is how far-reaching this performance was. Like, it, it was so massive. And this song is very boring. Just the fact that, you know, Whitney was able to bring so much life to this is another testament to, like, how incredible she was. Yeah, and even, even, like, when a Super Bowl always rolls around every year, the 
her version um always hits the TL on Twitter. Like it comes back every year. Like this is how it's supposed to sound. And yeah, you know? like she she is the standard. That that is the standard performance. That is what everyone studies when they want to sing the song. Absolutely. And then moving on to her Whitney, the concert for a new South Africa um, in 1994 um, was basically, you know, when apartheid ended, um, Nelson Mandela was released. So, you know, it's kind of like a celebratory, you know, type event happening. So, Yes, this was, um, she was the first artist to perform in a post-apartheid South Africa which was, you know, a career achievement for her. She performed over three concerts here in 1994. They were filmed for an HBO special. It would be the second out of three she would have for HBO. Um, she performed for 200,000 people in Ellis Park, Johannesburg. And, you know, this this was a career highlight. This is probably the career highlight for her, like, I urge everybody, if they don't watch any Whitney Houston performance, watch her sing I Will Always Love You in South Africa. Like, just to see the magnitude of how that song reached people and just how she she really performed that song. <laughs> like, that is probably she the really most is. dramatic Whitney has ever sung that song. And I live for it every single time I see it. She just looked like she was having a good time on stage when I watched the concert. Like, you know, when she mentioned that she was home and she was so excited to be there. And it's funny that you mentioned, like, there was only, like, 200 and something thousand people or 100 and something thousand people. Because it it looked like more, to be honest. Like, it looked like so many more people. But, like, the audience, they were really enjoying themselves. You know, like, she was feeding up that energy. And it was just, like, all around a good time. She brought her mom out. You know, she did costume changes. The costumes were (laughs) magnificent. Like, (laughs) Whitney and all her regalia. Like, it, uh, just an icon, an icon. There will never be another. And then um, we moved to Welcome Home Heroes Concert 1991. I don't know why I didn't put these in order. Yeah, this, yeah, this actually happened before this. It was, um... It took place May 14, 1991 at the Naval Air Station in Norfolk, Virginia. It was her first HBO special, um, and it was held for service people who were returning from the Gulf War. It was viewed by 7.9 million people. It has one, also another one of my favorite performances of All the Man That I Need. Like, it, it, that performance gets me emotional every single time. She, this is Whitney in her, her prime, her, like, the voice is voice. <laughs> and I know people are probably like, don't nobody want to watch no Welcome Home Heroes concert. But, you know, during that time period, artists used to, like, perform concerts, you know, for the troops and whatnot. And they sung, baby. <laughs> they gave yeah. a good, good show, you know, regardless so it's always, I just love seeing artists in their elements, especially I love, I love live concerts, yes. live albums. I always feel like we get 
we get like twice as more, you know, with the live performances versus, you know, like albums and singles on the radio or on the videos. And moving forward, we then go to 1997, classic Whitney live from um, Washington, D.C. Yes, this was her third HBO special. Um, It took place October 5th and October 7th, 1997. Um, It was held in Constitution Hall to celebrate Marian Anderson's birthday. And what was important about this was Marian Anderson was denied, you know, the the chance to perform here in 1939. And she was a legendary opera singer. I think most of us are familiar with learning about her, you know, in elementary school, but this was a very important moment for Whitney. And this was a very important moment for, you know, black singers. Like you are finally getting to be on stage in these areas that we did not have access to. And with these concerts, um, $300,000 in proceeds were donated to the Children's Defense Fund. So Whitney was doing these concerts for a good reason. Like, they they were for a good cause. And this is another concert that has another vocal favorite for me. Um, Ain't No Way. She does a cover of Ain't No Way by Whitney Houston. I also love her... Aretha um, Franklin. I meant my Aretha Franklin, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, this is also where she does this um, impromptu thing with Exhale, mm-hmm. where she invites, you know, the different singers in the audience, you know, shoot with her. Like, Monica came up. B.B. Um, Winans would sing. Um, Shirley Caesar would sing. And it was just... It was a really fun show. And, like, you could tell this is Whitney... You know, her voice is a little more um, restrained now, but, you know, the artist that she is, she, she finds her way around it. She, she sings. She, she is a singer. I knew it was going to be a fun concert with how it started off. So dramatic. It was giving me like Diana, like how Diana would enter her concerts. Like, (laughs) because why did she look like, it was so funny. I was like, this is so dramatic. But you know, Winnie was a Leo. So it's just like, listen, Leos are all about the show. (laughs) And you know, when she walks in and she's greeting the people, then, you know, she starts the concert all. It's just like, she really loved her fans, you know, putting on a good show for them. And I definitely, I definitely appreciate that because that can be, a, you know, lost art these days, you know, especially, you know, being a consumer, you know, you want to see, you know, your favorite artists at their best, you know, being that they're there to entertain you. Exactly. I think oh. what um, another underrated thing about Whitney Mm-hmm. is that her live performances she never performed the the same way like the song the yes. same way every yes. every single performance is different yes i noticed that when she um did uh, I, will, I, will, uh, I can't talk i will always love you um in dc i was like oh this is this is different for you know the i, lo- I love that about her um so yeah moving on to, I'm going to switch it up on here. Let's 
talk about um, the album highlight. Um, we ladies, you know, I told you she chose everything. Okay, y'all, I just, I'm just, you know, the bitch that writes everything down. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the yeah, album is my love. It's your love. That was like a very, very good album. Yes. This Night. album, um, oh, what were you saying? Sorry. Um, released in November 1998. Yes. This was her first album in eight years. And technically, this would be her fourth studio album because it was the first non-soundtrack album since I'm Your Baby Tonight in 1990. You're right. And, I, didn't, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> And the writers and producers include Babyface, Wyclef Jean, Dionne Warren, Rodney Jerkins, Lauren Hill, LaShawn Daniels, rest in peace, and David Foster. It is certified four times platinum. It has sold 10 million copies worldwide, and it debuted at number 13 on the Billboard 200. Do we know what it charted at on the R&B charts? Oh, I didn't look that up, but... Let's see. But I think what... Um, it was number... No, that's you. No, that's UK. Sorry. So on the UK R&B charts, it was number one. And then the US top R&B hip-hop albums, it was number seven. And even with, you know, that underperformance on the charts, like, this is still, like, a very strong album for her. And it's honestly my personal favorite just because of how it shows her growth as an artist and you know you get these standard Whitney songs but you also get you know her tapping into like the new wave of R&B yeah you know it's that um thing we talked about with Diana when we say as time changed the artist you know adapts to the sound and still you know remains um what's the word you know remain true to themselves, you know, while still adapting to a new sound and speed current. And she definitely excelled with this album on that. Yeah, I I love this album because I think for the most part, this was the first time the music really fit with her voice. Yes, like, and the, the songs, like, from track to track to track, you know, nothing... Like everything was like a perfect fit from you know what I was saying before, you know, was saying I wish Clive gave her better albums. But with this and the people she worked with, they made sure, you know, like the songs fit her and her sound. Yes. All music review says um, Houston has never been quite so subtle before, nor has she ever shown this desire to branch out musically. And you know, we see like Rodney Jer Elliott, they were the new up and coming hot R and B people of the time. And mm-hmm. you know, for Whitney, who was so used to like these big David Foster, you know Records. Yeah. Records, like she was finally getting to, you know, a more urban sound, which is, you know, what people in the past were like wanting from her. Yeah. And like, like I think <laughs> 
I think with Whitney's voice too, like Whitney always had this like sassy cadence to her, like, especially when like the song required it, like she could do that fast, like sassy staccato singing. And with these Rodney Jerkin songs and these Missy Elliott songs, like she got to tap into that more. And I think it was just such a, a great thing for her as an artist because we, we got to see a new side of her, but it was also a side that had really been there the whole time. Absolutely. It's that, but it's also that spunkiness that Whitney always had, you know, like with this album, I feel like more of that came out, like her person, more of her personality came out, you know, what we were seeing like on the red carpets of her, you know, with Bobby Brown and things like that, like that, that side of her came out. We got to see that. And I really enjoyed it because it showed, you know, all these sides to who Whitney was as a person, you know, and I really love how she never tried to hide who she was, you know, from her fans, you know, and like this album really like gave us like that, you know, that spunkiness and attitude, like you said. Yes. Um, John Perellis says like in the New York times that her improvisations um, bring emotional coherence to her technical feats. And we get a darker tone from Whitney, like vocally, like you can tell this is someone who has been singing for a while, someone who has, you know, had a little bit more experience in this industry, who has had a lot of more pain and not even like taking the song lyrics um, literally, you can just hear it in her voice. Like, oh, this is someone who has really grown as like a singer, even though they cannot reach the highs that they once could. Like, I remember, um, because when I would listen to Whitney, I barely listened to, like, anything post-Bodyguard. But mm -hmm. I went to go look, listen to My Love Is Your Love, and I was just so struck by just, like, like how we say, you know, you feel when Whitney is singing. Like, I felt the most out of this, out of this yes. album, out of this record. Like, I was like, wow, like, I really feel like she has lived these lyrics. Like, she has lived these experiences, and almost like she's like preaching to me and ministering to me. Like it yeah, was because, so good. Yeah. Because even with, you know, it's not right, but it's okay. Like you couldn't tell me she wouldn't talk about Bobby Brown, honey. Listen, <laughs> Whitney, Whitney was singing them songs about somebody. Okay. She was letting you know, like, this is what it is. And I'm not taking this. And, I just, even in the video, she gave us that spunk, you know, that attitude, you know, and I just love her for like the cohesiveness of how that all came together. Um, even, you know, with, you know, the pop records she do, you know, have on here, like I learned from the best, uh, like that, that song. Yeah. Like she gave her all. She left no crumbs. She gave yeah, her all. Yeah, this she was singing on this album and mm -hmm. like singing like you know she she had rent due like yeah. Mama and was I, not playing. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's another reason I liked her. She, it's like she left everything she had. Like she gave her all into the singing mm -hmm. like 
she was like, this is what I'm known for and this is what you're going to get and I'm going to give it 100%. Yeah. And it's so rare, like, to see that in a pop star these days or yeah. a big art, like, just someone who really gives their all during these performances. Like, Whitney gave her all when she was singing. Yeah. And even when you say, like, you know, she wasn't hitting maybe, like, notes how she used to or whatever, but it was still, like, she still gave us that 100%. Like, you never you felt like nothing was missing from it. Yeah. Like you said, it's just... It just made sense. Yeah, Whitney was such a talented, like, vocalist with this, like, expert musical ear that even with her range becoming more limited, she was able to dance around it while still sounding good. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that is just the, the mark of a true vocalist, like a, a top-tier vocalist. Yeah, and even her like sharing songs with other vocalists and not being intimidated by that because you know she's gonna bring it because yes this is what she does so you know with when you believe with her and mariah two of the biggest singers on one song together like that that i like yeah mariah carey when he said on something together huh and then you get Heartbreak Hotel with Kelly Price and Faith, and Faith Evans. Evans. Like, amazing vocalist that Whitney embraced and, you know, showed love to. And that was another thing with her. Like, Whitney showed love to everybody. Yes, that's, she loved the girls. Yeah. Because, you know, Faith, Mariah, Kelly, they were all in the same age range. And, you know, they were still young, you know, you know in their careers. And... I love that she also let them shine and you know she was always so nice to the girl to the new girls like she loved them all honey <laughs> yes and we like with her being gone now like there's that there's that missing in this industry there's you know this elder who has been through these experiences who has had these ups and downs like being there to encourage you yeah that's and I, personally for me, that is what I miss the most about her, just how much she loved what she did and how much she loved other people. Yeah. I know Beyonce be trying to do it, but I just don't like when she do it because I just feel like she need to be more mean to people. But that's <laughs> another that's another thing for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um so move up. Oh, so you wanna say something? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, this album was also, you know, where the gay community really started to receive her. Um a house mix of It's Not Right, But It's Okay would be produced by Thunder Push 2000. And, you know, this song was a hit in, you know, the gay nightlife. And I think they performed this song on the season nine finale of RuPaul's Drag Race. So mm-hmm. just her her reach is just so, it it's so, it's so wide. Like in every yeah. community, Whitney is now yeah, because if you take it even a step further, if I told you that remix with George Michael, like, she was just, mm-hmm. like, even, you know, sharing the spotlight with him, and, you know, <laughs> that video, that dramatics of her shaking that wig, like, <laughs> you just yeah. gotta love Whitney Houston, man. Like, like I said, she's gonna give you her all, even on a dance record. Yes. Like, 150% each and every time. 
All right, so that, so now I guess we can move on and talk about our personal top five Whitney records. So you want to go first? Okay, my personal top five Whitney records are Why Does It Hurt So Bad, Um, All the Man That I Need, You Give Good Love, Um. I go to the rock from the preacher's wife soundtrack and I believe in you and me. I was definitely about to bust into song as soon as you said, why does it, why does her so bad? <laughs> that song, like you can ask my friends, like I sing that song so much. <laughs> like I you would think like- I was really in here going through it over some relationship. <laughs> I had to like stop myself and let, let her finish. <laughs> uh, for me, I would say Exhale, Shoot Shoot, um, Heartbreak Hotel, My um, hmm, I'm Your Baby Tonight. Yes. That's what, three? Yes. Hmm. I'm Every Woman. See, this is hard. Yeah, Winnie has so many great songs. But you see, then it's like I want to put, I don't know if I want to put Save It All My Love For You for number five, or if I want to put My Love Is Your Love, or if I want to put, you know, Million Dollar Bill, you know, just one of those days. I'm going to put Save All My Love For You for the fifth one. I'll go with that. Love it. I didn't realize that song was a cover till like a couple weeks ago. Like that is, that is wild. Me neither. I thought that was her song. And then I found out it was a cover. I was like, oh, because one thing about Whitney, she going to take your your song. Yeah. And eat you up every single time. Act Shaka Khan. Um, So yeah, now let's move on to, you know, her modern day impact on social media. Um, memes, gifts, phrases, etc. I just want to start off by saying no one has a bigger like impact than saying I want to see the receipts. It is it is wild how much we use that even like outside of pop culture. Like when you are accused of something or you're trying to defend something the first thing someone usually says, well, I want to see the receipts. Where are the receipts? Yeah, or like when we don't like something, we use that gift when she says, thank you, and then yeah. hands it back to Diane's <laughs> Like the fact that so many iconic moments came from like that interview, which was yeah. like so, Shouldn't so bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just like her, Whitney is, is famous in so many areas. <laughs> And you know what? You know what's been on my in my head for like days on end. It's all I've been thinking about when TLC won at the um, MTV Video Awards for Waterfall, and all I hear saying Waterfall, 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 Waterfall. <laughs> That's all I've been hearing in my head. And she just she was such a character. And you then you know thinking about her on being Bobby Brown when she was in the car listening to Shut Up by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> so many moments. Ugh. So she many. was she was a treasure. She was a, a real treasure. 
that's a real one. And, you know, with the video that floats around, you know, when Black History Month comes, we need a longer month. <laughs> and um, to this day, that is true. That is still true. She, she spoke true. a word. You know, and then when she's at the BET award and she skips in. Yes, you you use that um, the, that video from that award show so much. <laughs> I do. I can't help myself. I, I love it, though. Myself. And then uh, when she goes, <laughs> when she's giving her speech, I'm a survivor. <laughs> Whitney is just so fun, like such a fun, energetic presence that... I wish more people had, like, you cannot help but like someone like that. <laughs> you can't help it at all. Like, she was just such a treat. Such, such, such a treat. And like, like, just such a fun lady. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, like, even like to this day, her impact is still like super important. You know, whether we're talking music film you know or you know just pop culture for us you know her you know social media you know as far as the memes gifts and such you know when she does a little smirk at Diane Sawyer's it's just so she gave us so much a staple in meme and give culture like where would we be without having a Whitney meme or a gift to reply to somebody with when we're trying to be smart or sassy or like who, where, where would we be in social media in pop culture without her? Yeah. When she, when her and Mariah are at the Oscars and they win for the award, she looks good. Yes. <laughs> there's so, God, I mean, there's so many moments, like things that you can't, remember like off top and you're just like wait that this is something I remember too like it's because every like it feels like every couple of months like something new is like going viral with her like a moment from like an award show or an interview yeah and even the one with Natalie Nicole winning the award and they're that like is my favorite. <laughs> yes that is my favorite one to use <laughs> I love using that one to like what a treat what a treat okay so now we move into we have been talking oh my god we're at almost 80 minutes late we be talking sister we be talking we do but we have a lot to say you know we want we want the people to be informed because a lot of times they're not when it comes to artists of the past and that's not a good thing (laughs) and i think what is important about you know especially in whitney's case like whitney has given us so much and for the later half of her life, like, you know, someone who has contributed yeah. so much to pop culture and music, um, we were not kind to her. And I yeah, think it was nasty. It was yeah, nasty. very, very disgusting. It was, it, she became a joke and, you know, just the disrespect to someone who really gave us so much. Yeah. That's why I think, you know, having something like this where we can, you know, praise her and uplift her for like over an hour is so, so crucial. Like we have to remember these artists when they were great because they, they were great. Yeah. Because even when they were down, they still needed somebody. Like yes. we, I don't think a lot of people realize it, but watching the documentaries and such, Whitney never stood a chance. She wasn't protected 
from the jump. Yeah. And so we have to, um, I think this is for like artists in general, these mega stars who have these, you know, these insane talents, but they are also people, they have feelings, they have trauma, they have pain. And we, we have to be considerate and careful with them. And I think we've learned that the most from Whitney. Yeah. Whitney and making fun of people's, you know, addiction, that's nasty work because people are really struggling with that. That's a long battle people are fighting and it should never be made a mockery of. Exactly. It's, it's not easy. Like it's not, I, I worked in a rehab, you know, for almost two years and it's, it's just not. <laughs> and so um, we're coming to a close. So what would you say your song of the week is by her? My song of the week is All the Man That I Need. I'm going to make mine. Um, ex, um, exhale. Yeah, shoot, shoot. It's shoot, my favorite. Shoot. <laughs> it's my favorite song by her. And I just love that song so much. I was why like I said, I was watching Waiting to Exhale. And then, you know, that song is just... It's just so good. Like, even in the video, like, it wasn't much, but she was just singing. Her beauty was there. She's just singing her all. So, Whitney was so beautiful. She was. Oh my gosh. And then um, the album of the week, um, since we, you know, talked about My Love is Your Love, we made that the album of the week. It made the most sense. Um, If you guys haven't heard it, please, please, please go listen to it. it. It's such a good album cohesive piece get into um, your late 90s bag <laughs> please do a R&B classic okay and then um all right like I'm gonna let you do the final toast to Whitney what you got for us here is a toast to someone who redefined what it meant to be a pop star became the vocal standard while showing such grace, such beauty, so much love, so much heart. Um, here, here is you in Houston. No, no one will ever touch the hem of your gown in our lifetime. No one, period. Not at all. So here's to you, Whitney Houston. <laughs> and so... Um, as we close out the show, do you have any final words you'd like to say to the people or anything you want to plug in? I just want to say that I am so, so grateful to be asked to be a part of this. Like, this was so much fun. Um, I've enjoyed talking about Whitney. She is someone who means so much to me, even as I'm getting older. Like, I go back and watch her almost every single day just you know to to get some inspiration to see someone display their talent with so much heart so I just want to say that I just just giving more love to a woman that has meant so much to me in my life definitely um I don't have anything to say um except for welcome um you know my sister uh, you know liaise to this creative space um y'all better be nice to her 
Um, <laughs> um, she's she's a lovely person, and she's she loves music as much as I do. And I just can't wait to give you guys more content. We have you know ideas brewing, and I don't have anything else to say. Um, so until next time, guys. Um, bye. Bye. <laughs> Nothing else matters.